I'm Amber Cook. Welcome to my podcast, The Dragonfly Connection. In this third season, I've taken the theme from season one, which was called The Holistic Healing Connection, and merged it with a theme from season two of The Dragonfly Connection. So now, join me every Wednesday for open, honest, inspiring, and healing conversations with people who face their own health and life challenges, worked through them, and now are on a mission to help you live a healthier, more fulfilling life. My hope is that at each episode leaves you more empowered and inspired, no matter where you are on your life and healing journey. This episode is sponsored by HealingWays.com. Find a holistic wellness professional and resources to help you on your healing journey. That's HealingWaze.com. My guest today, Terry Tucker, says a ton of inspiring things in this episode, but this saying or quote is my favorite. What we leave behind are the things we weave into the hearts of other people. It's my favorite because it's what this podcast is all about, weaving inspiration, healing, and empowerment into your hearts. And I promise this short episode will leave you and your heart full of all three and more. Terry is a cancer warrior, helping others get and stay motivated, keep moving forward no matter the circumstances, and improve their lives in general through his stories and wisdom. He's been an NCAA Division I college basketball player, a marketing exec, a hospital administrator, an undercover narcotics investigator, a SWAT team hostage negotiator, a high school basketball coach, a business owner, a motivational speaker, and most recently, an author. Yes, he is amazing. His book, Sustainable Excellence, 10 Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life, is just one of the ways Terry practices what he preaches, and that is the importance of stepping out of your comfort zone. Terry has also been featured in some magazines and loves to share his encouraging words and wisdom wherever he can. His website and social media have a ton of free resources available for just that. Now, unlike many of my past Cancer Warrior guests, Terry is not out of the woods He is currently fighting it still. And like he said, he does have bad days, but as you'll hear in this episode, he doesn't let that stop him. He keeps moving forward. He keeps using his story to help others. After listening today, please take a moment to send some good vibes and prayers Terry's way. I'm sure he wouldn't mind you reaching out either. Maybe send him some encouraging words and wisdom. It could just be a comment on one of his social media pages. And again, all the links to connect with him will be in the show notes. I'm grateful to have connected with Terry and I know you're going to feel the same. Sit back and enjoy and afterwards if you loved this conversation as much as I did I would love 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 if you would please share it. All you have to do is go to the little share button on whatever podcast player you have and then just follow the instructions. Cut and paste is my favorite way to do it. You just cut it, paste it into your social media, paste it into a text to a friend, email, whatever. If you have any questions please reach out, leave a comment, DM me on Instagram, join my free Facebook group. There's a lot of different ways that I am open and willing to connect with you because that's what I love to do. Anyway, this is definitely not your first rodeo podcast speaking, or you've shared your story already on approximately 150 podcasts all over the world. So welcome to my podcast. Well, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Okay. So speaking of all over the world, where are you currently located? Currently located in Denver, Colorado. Okay. So I'm reading over your questionnaire. You have lived quite a few different places. 
Run that list off. <laughs> Run the list off. Okay. Uh, so Illinois, born in Chicago. Okay. Uh, Atlanta, Georgia, Columbus, Ohio, Charleston, South Carolina, Santa Barbara, California, Cincinnati, Ohio, Houston, Texas, and now Denver. That is amazing. Okay. So first of all, out of all those places so far, what's been your favorite? You know, that's a tough question. I... I <laughs> Because you like them for different reasons. I mean, in a lot of ways we do. My, my wife and I were both born and raised in the Midwest. Midwest has kind of brutal winters. Yeah. Uh, you know, Denver has winters, but it doesn't, you know, it could snow 25 inches today and be 50 degrees and sunny tomorrow. And, and so you don't have that yeah. constant gray and doom and gloom. But I'll tell you, the, the prettiest place we've ever lived, I think, is Santa Barbara, California. I mean, it was mm. it never got hot, never got cold. It was just a perfect perfect climate and it was absolutely gorgeous. So I guess those would be my Santa Barbara and Denver probably be my two favorites. Your favorites. Okay. I haven't been to Denver yet. Well, I've been in the airport, but that doesn't really count (laughs) Uh, because it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere is what I remember. Yes. Right. I've heard that it's really sunny there. Like you just said, you get snow, but you get a lot of sun. Yeah. And and, you know, you don't have bugs. There's no mosquitoes. There's I mean, there's just a lot of you know, nice things about it. Of course, you're also more susceptible to getting skin cancer and things like that because you're a mile closer to the sun. So (laughs) yes, true. And why did you move around so much? Early on, it was my father's job. My father was in real estate. Uh, He was actually the national director of real estate for McDonald's. And my mom and dad were born in Chicago. Uh, my, My brother, two of my brothers, one of my brother and myself were born in Chicago. The other one was born in Atlanta. And then when I got married, pretty much for my wife's job. My wife has been Mm. the primary breadwinner. So, you know, I kind of go where she goes. And so that's necessitated a few moves here and there. And it's always good to move because, you you know, you sort of declutter, you get rid of stuff you don't need anymore. So in a way, it's kind of nice. Fun. Yeah, I, I enjoy moving around. It's not for everybody. You know, some people don't like it and that's okay. But yeah, I, I kind of seek out change. You know, that is, sounds really weird and foreign to some people. And again, it's not for everybody. Not all of us enjoy change. Yeah. I embrace it and I enjoy it. Okay. So I want to dive into your story. Cause like I said before, we only have an hour and there is a lot to talk about. One of the things that you wrote in your questionnaire that I loved, and I'm going to quote it right now is this one thing I learned during all my pain and suffering is that you have two choices. You can succumb to the debilitating discomfort and misery, or you can learn to embrace it and use it to make you a stronger and better human being. I chose the latter. And that kind of seems like that is your philosophy, your whole philosophy. And it's kind of become your philosophy. So that's going to also be our focus today. And we're going to talk about what you did to get there to where you are now and how you now help other people on their own life and healing journeys. But before we go there, share your own journey, specifically the parts focusing on your big life, your big life and health challenges. Yeah. So I born and raised in Chicago. As I mm-hmm. mentioned, I'm the oldest of three boys. Uh, you can't tell this from looking at me or from my voice, but I'm six foot eight inches tall. I did I, read that somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> you and, are I mean, very tall. And my brothers and I, I mean, I'm six, eight. I've got a brother, six, seven. There was a pitcher at the university of Notre Dame. Another brother was six foot six who was drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers and the national basketball association. And then my dad was six, five. So I sort of joked that if you sat behind our family in church growing up, there wasn't a prayers chance you were going to see anything that was going on, you know, 
But but our five foot eight inch mother was always the boss. You know, it didn't matter how big, tall, strong we were. Whatever mom says, that's the way it went. So <laughs> so I I was fortunate uh, to have to be able to play college basketball, mm-hmm. and I did that despite three knee surgeries. When I graduated, I moved home to find a job. I was all set to make my mark on the world with my newly obtained business administration degree, you know, and, <laughs> and look back now and realize how little I knew about business just because I had a degree. Fortunately, I was able to find that first job in the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International, the hamburger chain, mm-hmm. in their marketing department. Uh, unfortunately, I ended up living with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mom care for my father and my mm-hmm. grandmother, who were both dying of different forms of cancer. Um, but for for me, you know, cancer kind of hit twelve or ten years ago, two thousand and twelve, mm. when I had this callus break open on the bottom of my foot. I was a girls' high school basketball coach in Texas at the time, and, and you know, I had this callus break open, and I didn't initially think much of it because as a coach, you're on your feet a lot. But yeah. after it didn't heal for a couple of weeks, I went to see a podiatrist, a foot doctor friend of mine, and he took an X ray and he said, "Terry, I think you have a little cyst in there." And I can cut it out. And he did. And he showed it to me. Just a little gelatin sack with some white fat in it. No blood, no dark spots, nothing that gave either one of us concern. But he sent it off to pathology. Mm-hmm. And then two weeks later, I get a call from him. And as I said, he was a friend of mine. And the more difficulty he was having telling me what was going on, the more frightened I became. Until finally, <laughs> kind of just hit me right between the eyes with it and said, Terry, I've been a doctor for 25 years. I've never seen this form of cancer. You have a rare form of melanoma that appears on the bottom of the feet or the palms of the hands. And I recommend you be treated at MD Anderson Cancer Center, which is probably one of the greatest, if not the greatest cancer hospital in the world, uh, because your cancer is so rare. And that's that kicked off my, my 10-year journey. And uh, fortunately, I'm still here. It's always fun to get the letters from MD Anderson every year saying, you know, are you alive, dead? Do you still have disease? It's that, you know, they, they have a, they track everybody they take care of. So I, I like being able to fill that and say, yeah, still here, you know, here you go. Yeah. Do you still get things tested or are you pretty much cancer? I mean, have you just been released as cancer free? No. Uh, okay. So after I had, I, I was treated at MD Anderson, mm-hmm. my, my oncologist put me on a drug called interferon to try to keep the disease from coming back is the way she put it is we're trying to kick the can down the road. The side effects of interferon were that I had severe flu-like symptoms for two to three days every week after each injection. And I took those weekly injections for almost five years. So imagine having the flu every week for five years. And as I said, that's not a cure. That was just to try to keep, you know, the disease from coming back. Uh, 2017, I ended up in the intensive care unit. Uh, with a fever or a body temperature of 108 degrees, which usually is not compatible with being alive, but right. compatible with being alive. Yeah. That. Fortunately, I was at a level one trauma center. So they were able to kind of stabilize me and send me to the ICU. But that was due to the toxicity of the interference. So I had to stop that in 2017. And almost immediately uh, after stopping the interferon, the, the cancer came back in the exact same place on my foot that it had presented five years ago. And that necessitate, necessitated in 2018, the amputation of my left foot. And then 2019, the cancer worked its way up my leg into my shin, requiring two more surgeries. And then in 2020, uh, an undiagnosed tumor kind of in my ankle area grew large enough that it fractured my tibia, my shin bone. 
And my only recourse in the middle of the pandemic was to have my left leg amputated. And I also found out I had tumors in my lungs, which I'm currently being treated for. So this is, this is continuing to be an ongoing process. And I know that sounds real dark and ugly, but in all honesty, cancer has made me a better human being. Well, yeah, as you're talking to me, you have a smile on your face. Yeah. Your, your eyes are bright and, and you're just like, yeah, this is just, it just happened to me. And like you just said right now, it, it made your life better. And I want to know how then we're going to really dive into how you are still sitting here with one leg, whole leg amputated, and you're dealing with cancer in your lungs currently. Correct. Yeah. And you're sitting here with a smile on your face and you look, you look hopeful, like more hopeful than a lot of people I see out there walking around. And we want to help those people because some of them are listening. (laughs) We want to get them to a point where they can smile through whatever challenges they've been through. So, woo, okay. Lots of stuff here. What did that do to your mental health? Uh, You know, that's a great question. I I, I mean, I, I would be lying to you if I, if I told you anything other than, you know, when I found out, I think I went through all the stages that we associate with grief. You know, I was like, no, I'm in denial. That can't possibly be happening. I've done everything right in my life. And, you know, you kind of bargain with God for a while, then you get mad and and you go through everything. And I did. And I went through all those emotions. And then I kind of looked at it like, well, you know what, this sucks, but I'm going to have to embrace that suck. And these are the cards that I've been dealt. And, And I'm going to have to play them to the very best of my ability. And wherever the chips, you know, end up that's where where we're going to go so mm-hmm. I, I don't spend a, a lot of time when i when i had my leg amputated my wife and i went to the to the mortuary and to the cemetery and to the, the church and we planned our funerals i planned my funeral and and you know i go on these podcasts and I, I i do speaking and i talk about motivation and moving forward you know and and when i plan my funeral and people find out about it i got some brushback from people they're like you know don't you think that's kind of defeatist and you know, I sort of looked at him like, well, last time I checked, we're all going to die. You know, I don't right. think anybody's working on a cure for life right now. So, you know, it's like everybody dies. Yeah. Not everybody really lives. And I heard a Native American Blackfoot proverb years ago that I loved that went, when you were born, you cried and the world rejoiced. Live your life in such a way so that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. And that's what I want. And, you know, I feel that I've lived my purpose. And so, you know, I don't spend a lot of time worrying about when I'm going to die. But people always ask me, who do you blame? You know, you got to blame. We're great as a culture. Mm, You know, we start down a road. I'm going for my goals. And then I run into an impediment. And I I can't. I stop. I quit. I give up. And then we look to blame somebody. I mean, very Mm -hmm. few people take responsibility for their own success and happiness. And so people ask me, you know, who do you blame? Do you blame God? I'm like, no, I don't think God got up on a Tuesday morning, checked his to-do list and said, Terry Tucker cancer today. I don't think that happened at all. You know, I I don't blame anybody. This just happened to me. And I just try to live it the best that I can. And we're all going to experience pain in our lives. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be cancer pain or even an illness. You could flunk a test at school or break up with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, or not get the promotion at work that you think you deserve. Mm-hmm. Pain is inevitable. Yeah. Suffering, on the other hand, suffering is optional. Suffering is what you do with that pain. Do you use it to make you a stronger and more determined individual? Or do you wallow in it and feel sorry for yourself and want others to feel sorry for you? 
life is about choices. It's all how you handle it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I agree. And when did you get to that point then where you believe what you're saying to me right now? Because you were, like you said, you're a normal human being <laughs> that was doing all the things that we all do when we learn about these really painful, scary things. We wallow, we, we bargain, all the things we go through the stages of grief and anger. And when did you get to this point and what, like what started this for you? I, I think it was just, you know, a realization that this is my life now. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not crazy about this life, but what can I learn from it? What can I, you know, how can I help other people? And I mean, you're looking at me right now. There's no S on my chest. I'm not wearing a cape flying around <laughs> with magical powers. You know, I, I'm a human being. I have bad days. I, I cry, I get down, I feel sorry for myself. And when I do, I think of, of two stories. One was a, about an article that I read uh, about a professor at Johns Hopkins University back in the 1950s who did an experiment with rats. So I know I just said rats. So everybody hang on. I'm, trust me, I'm going somewhere with it. So he took rats, very simple experiment, and he put the rats in a tank of water that was over their head. And he wanted to see how long the rats could tread water before they would sink and drown. And the average rat treaded water for about 15 minutes. And right before the rats were getting ready to, to drown, he reached in, grabbed them, pulled them out, dried them off, let them rest for a while. And then he put them back in that exact same tank of water. And the second time around, those rats treaded water for 60 hours. Now think about that. 15 minutes. That's all I can do. You know, I, I'm at the end of my rope. I'm going to die. The second time, 60 hours, which said to me two things. One, the importance of hope in -hmm. our lives. We have to believe that our lives are going to get better, that what we're doing is leading to a better life for ourselves. And two, just how much more physical bodies can handle than we ever thought they could. You know, people, people give up with the least little amount of, oh, that hurt. Yeah, I know mm-hmm. it hurt. Instead of running from that hurt, use that hurt. Use that to make you a better individual. So that was one story. And then I, I have a friend who is a former Navy SEAL, some of the, the toughest men in the world. Mm-hmm. And they talk about their 40% rule, which is basically when you're at the end of your rope with them, you're really only at 40% of your maximum and you still have 60% left to give to yourself. So whenever I get in those ugly, dark places, I kind of remember those stories. And it's like, no, dummy, get up and keep moving forward because you can. I mean, this is the, the limits that we, that, that we encounter in our lives are so much the limits we place on ourselves. They're mm-hmm. not limits that are really limits. They're just like, oh, I'm tired or that hurts or it's uncomfortable. Use that and make you a better person. Mm, love it. Yes. Yes. And that experiment with the rats really goes to show taking it back to mindset, like the things we can physically do, like the, even the Navy SEAL has to start in our minds. Really? It does. We have to tell ourselves we can, you know, like you said, keep that hope, have something to live for, uh, and know that that pain is, is worth something bigger, better. It's going to be helpful when you do have those moments still though, when you're feeling pretty down and feeling sorry for yourself, cause I'm sure it still occasionally happens. It does. What, what are some of your first go-tos? My biggest go-to is that if you think about that, when you think when we all get into those places and we all do, mm-hmm. we're human beings, it, it, it's natural. It's not, 
you know, like I said, I'm not Superman. Nobody is, you yeah. know. So we're we're looking inward. We're thinking, you know, oh, woe is me, and this is terrible, and it, it's all me, 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 me. And I mm-hmm. find the best way to to counter that is to look outside. Is to find somebody to help, to find somebody to talk to. To instead of focusing on yourself, start focusing on somebody else. Because when you do, you take that, you know, like, hey, it's all about me. It's not about you. It's about this person. And now, if I'm if I'm trying to help you, or if I'm trying to help somebody else. I'm not thinking about me anymore. I'm thinking about how I can make a difference in somebody else's life. And, and one of the things that I learned, you know, I started playing basketball when I was nine years old and played all the way up till I graduated from college. And one of the things I learned from team sports is the importance of being part of something that's bigger than yourself. And you realize on a team that if you don't do your job, not only do you let yourself down, but you let your teammates down and your coaches down and your fans down, et cetera. And if you think about it, the biggest team game that we all play is this game of life. So it, when you're when you're in those dark places, go find somebody to help. Go find somebody, you know, pick up the phone and call somebody, you know, hey, how you doing today and stuff like that. That just makes that connection with somebody else. And it stops you from looking at yourself and, and seeing the world in kind of a bigger place where you're helping another individual. Yes, I I agree with that as well. Definitely. It does help. You know, and when I'm in those places too, it always helps to remind me, you know, exactly what you said, like we're in community. I'm just one piece of this large global community of humanity. And what I do to help myself helps other people too. So not only like, like you said, take yourself out of your situation and go help somebody, but knowing that if, if we're helping ourselves, we're helping other people too, always, yeah. every time. Even if Absolutely. you're not going on podcast, sharing your stories, you're gonna, your energy, your attitude's gonna bleed out into other people and help other people just by being alive and, and taking care of your own stuff. So you said, and I'm gonna quote you again, in addition to my faith, I use four truths to guide the decisions I make in my life. So what I'm going to ask you is what are these four truths? And I know them already, but I want you to tell my listeners and then elaborate. So maybe they can just after they're done listening, go, I'm going to just follow these four truths to start with. Yeah. I I mean, these are, these are what I call, I guess, sort of the bedrock of my soul. They're just a good place, you know, to sort of build your life off of. And, and, and I'll give you what, what they are for me. I mean, if they all work for you, take them and, and use them in your life. If one or two work, take those and develop your own, whatever you want to do. These work for me. I'm not going to mm-hmm. say they're going to work for everybody else. And I have them, if I'm looking down, I have them on a, a post-it note that I, that I see here on my desk every day. So they get reinforced multiple times throughout the day. And they're just one sentence each. So okay. the first one is this. It's you need to control your mind or your mind is going to control you. And when I was 15, 14 years old, I had several knee surgeries and and I was I was a very good basketball player. I know that sounds kind of conceited, but but I really was. I was a very good basketball player in high school and I had these knee surgeries. And then I went back playing basketball and my brain was putting all this negative these negative thoughts into my mind, you know, things like, Hey, you've had this surgery. So you're probably a step slower. And 
college coaches aren't really going to be interested in recruiting you to play on that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wait a minute, I'm still playing at an elite level and coaches are still contacting me about the possibility of playing for their college or university. So I learned very early on, you needed to switch that narrative. You needed to switch switch it to something positive. I mean, and if you think about it, your brain can hold one thought at a time. Why would you want to make that a negative thought? And I always remember back to when I was in college and, you know, guys would go out and party the night before a big test. And then, you know, the next day they'd come in sort of hungover. And, and, and what's the first thing they say? Oh, man, I'm going to blow this test. Why would you say that to yourself? Right. Why wouldn't you at least say, hey, you know what? I paid attention in class. I'm going to do great on this test. But we don't. We always want to go to the negative. And I don't understand why people want to do that. At least give yourself an opportunity to be successful. Yeah. So that's number one. Okay. Control your mind. The second one I touched on a little bit, and it's this. You need to embrace the pain and the difficulty that we all experience in life and use that pain and difficulty to make you a stronger and more determined individual. So we know our brains are hardwired to avoid pain and discomfort and to seek pleasure. So to the brain, the status quo, the way things are right now are good. Don't mess with it. Just keep things the way they are. The problem with that is, the only way we're going to grow, the only way we're going to get better is to step outside that comfort zone. But when we do, our brain goes back to the first one. Our brain starts attacking us. Freaking out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, wait, wait a minute. No, you should. And, and you know, it's so easy. And, and we all know people who, when they experience pain, they turn to drugs, they turn yeah. to alcohol, they turn to bad behavior. I guess what I'm saying with this is, Instead of running from pain, instead of trying to get away from it, what if you did just the opposite? What if you took that pain and flipped it inside and burned it as fuel or used it as energy to make you a stronger person? Instead of running, use it. And, and that's so foreign to us because we don't like things that are uncomfortable. And I, I'll give this to your audience, and, and I try to do this every day myself, Yeah, is to do just one thing. One thing that scares you, one thing that makes you nervous, one thing that makes you uncomfortable, one thing that might be potentially embarrassing to you. And it doesn't have to be a big thing. You know, like the other day, I hate, I hate going to the dentist, but I picked up the phone and I made my six month appointment for a cleaning. I didn't like doing that. I was a little uncomfortable. But if you do one thing every day, one small thing, when the big things in life hit you and they hit us all, somebody dies that's close to you, you know, you lose your job, you're living out of your car, whatever that ends up being, mm -hmm. you'll be so much more resilient to handle those big things if you do those small things every day. And like I said, it doesn't have to be anything big. Just do one thing that makes you a little uneasy. And then when those big things hit, you'll be much more resilient. So that's number two. Okay. Uh, number three is more of a, I guess, a legacy truth. I think it's important, regardless of what stage we are in our life, to think about the end game. What are people going to say about you at your funeral? What, what do you want them to say? And, and I don't want people to think that, oh, I've got to live a life based on what other people say. No, you don't. You need to live a life that's true to yourself. But number three is this. What you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people. So, you know, I, it's important for all of us. And, you know, I, I sort of touched on going to the cemetery and, you know, yeah. going to the mortuary and all that. that that's kind of like, you know, it's like, you know what? Think about the end game of your life. And are you happy with the way that's going to be? And if you're not, then make the changes that you need. But what you're going to leave behind is what you are going to put into other people's hearts. So that's number three. And then number four, 
is pretty self-explanatory. It's this, as long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. And the way that resonates with me is this, my pain is going to end someday. It may end through surgery, may end through medication, quite frankly, it may end when I die. Mm -hmm. But if I quit, if I give up, if I give in to pain, then pain is always going to be a part of my life. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I feel blessed just sitting here listening to all this. I'm like, you've already just made my day better. So thank you. So on your website called motivationalcheck.com, great name, by the way, you offer a ton of different resources. I mean, you have like a menu that's huge and all kinds of drop downs. There's a lot of stuff on there. What are like some of the main things that you offer to help other people in their life? So every, every day that I'm not in the hospital, every day I... I put up a thought for the day. And with that thought comes usually a question, some way that you can use that thought or you can internalize that thought to, to maybe make your life a little bit better. On Mondays, I put up the Monday morning motivational message, which is a lot of times a video that I find online or, or a story that just gets the people to think a little bit more about their lives. And, and I understand people's time is at a premium. So I always say, if you need a quick hit of inspiration or motivation, Go to motivationalcheck.com, get that quick hit, and then move on with your life. I, I mean, there's my social media sites are there. The number of podcasts that I've been on are there. The access to my book is there and things like that. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it's funny when, when I had my foot amputated, you know, I was kind of at a crossroads in my life. I was like, I, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I should do. And I would literally in bed at night and be like, all right, God, where do you want me to go? And there's kind of that old joke that says, when we talk to God, it's called prayer. When God talks to us, it's called schizophrenia. So I don't want anybody to think, you know, God talked to me. But I think what God does in a lot of ways, and and this happened with my book and it happened with my blog, is God puts people in your path that make suggestions to you. Hey, you know, maybe you ought to write a book. I've never written a book before. What, what do you mean? Are you crazy? You know, mm-hmm. hey, maybe you ought to start a blog. I'm old. I can barely turn my cell phone on in the morning. What do you mean start a blog? You know, so literally when I started Motivational Check, it was four pages and, and four pages only. And it took me four months. And, and that's not a lie. It really did. I'm like, I don't know what that means. I've got to go research it and figure mm-hmm. it out. My 25 year old daughter probably could have done it in 15 minutes. It took me four <laughs> months to do it. But it was something that enough people had made the suggestion that I figured, well, maybe I ought to buck up and think about this for a while, because maybe that's God's way of, you know, not making, making sure that I don't end up in the nut house and that I actually do what he wants me to do. Mm-hmm. Love it. Love it. Yeah. So you mentioned your book and that was going to be my next question. So we'll just segue right into that. <laughs> uh, it's called sustainable excellence, 10 principles to leading your uncommon and extraordinary life. And so the title is very telling of course, but tell us more about that book that so you were really scared. Really... You were really scared to write that book and you did it. So yeah, I did and, and <laughs> live in I your guess... truth. <laughs> Yeah, how I wrote it. And it's funny, because the four truths aren't in it. They, you know, they, they, they really aren't, you know, it's, it's good impetus for a second book, you know, so you know, you know, you don't want to give everybody everything all at once. Right. But the book was really born out of two conversations I had one was with a former basketball player that I coached when she was in high school. And she had, and her fiance had moved to the Colorado area where my wife and I live. And we'd had dinner with them. And one night I said to her, you know, I'm really excited that you're living close. And I can watch you find and live your purpose. And she got real quiet for a while. And she kind of looked at me and she was like, well, coach, what do you think my purpose is? 
I said, I have no idea what your purpose is, but that's what your life should be about. Get out there, find the reason you were put on the face of this earth, use your unique gifts and talents and live that reason. So that was one conversation. And then I had a young man in college who reached out to me on social media and asked me what I thought were the most important things he should learn to not just be successful in his job or in business, but to be successful in life. And I didn't want to give him that, you know, get up early, work hard, help others. Not that those aren't important. They are yeah. incredibly important. But I wanted to see if maybe I could go a little bit deeper with him. So I, I, I took some time. I thought about it. and I, I wrote some notes. And eventually I had these 10 thoughts, these 10 ideas, these 10 principles. And so I sent them to him. And then I kind of stepped back and I was like, well, you know, I got a life story that fits underneath this principle, or I know somebody's life who emulates that principle. So literally during the three month period between the time I had my leg amputated and the time I started the chemotherapy for the tumors in my lungs, I sat down at the computer every day and I built stories, real stories about real people and real events uh, that matched each of these different principles. And that's how sustainable excellence came to be. Mm, wonderful. When did you publish? Uh, October of 2020. Okay. So it's just, it's not even two years old yet. Awesome. What else? So what else do you have going on? What, what's next? I mean, you're like you said, you've mentioned several times right now you're going through treatment, but I'm sure that doesn't stop you from doing other things. So what's going on? (laughs) Yeah. Uh I, 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 you know, a couple of things I, you know, I wrote sustainable excellence and I think it's a book about success, how mm-hmm. we can be successful in life. And I, I would like to write another book. I haven't started writing it yet. I am kind of trying to pull material together right now. That's about another word that begins with S and that word is significance. You know, success is what we do for ourselves, how, how mm-hmm. we can be successful. Significance is what we do for other people. Now, don't get me wrong. I think you can be both. I think you'd be successful and significant. But I think I'd like to do another book uh, about significance and how significance plays a part in people's lives. And the other thing I'm working on right now, enough people, this is another story where people kept telling me, you know, you should have a membership program. You should have, you know, and I'm like, why? It's like, well, because you, you don't need to give this, you know, you're giving this stuff away mm-hmm. and, and people would pay for it. And I'm like, I don't want to have to people to pay for it. I want to be able to give it away. I, I don't want anybody to not get it because they have to pay for it. But enough people have made this suggestion that I start a membership program. So I'm, I'm working right now um, in the very infancy of doing that. So those are, those are the two big things uh, that I'm doing right now. Again, I'm still still trying to learn how to walk again. Uh, I have a prosthetic leg. I was able to actually walk my daughter down the aisle in October. That was a straight line. Nobody had, I mean, it was a quick, but I'm, I'm just not comfortable with it. And I actually had a, had a nurse recently who asked me, she said, you know, what was it like to have your, your foot amputated and to have your leg amputated? And I told her, I said, it, it certainly has not been easy when you're six foot eight falling is not an option because you get hurt when you, when you fall and that. So I, I I said, you know, I'm, I'm really learning. I said, but what I told her is that, you know, cancer can take all my physical faculties, but cancer can't touch my mind. It can't touch my heart and it can't touch my soul. And that's who I am. That's who you are, Amber. That's who Mm -hmm. our, you know, your audience is. This is just a body or a vessel or a home or whatever you want to call it to house who we are. So I know there's a lot of people going out out there going through difficult times that 
you know, I mean, you look at me and say, you know, yeah, you look great. I look great from here up. From here down, I am loaded with scars. I have scars in my groin. I, I have a scar, you know, from my leg being amputated. My entire abdomen is full of scar tissue from those five years of interfering on like mm-hmm. on that. So I look good in clothes, do not look good outside of clothes. So, you know, I, I but I've earned those scars. You know, yeah. I, I've been through, there's an old Winston Churchill quote, who's the prime minister of Great Britain during mm-hmm. World War II said, when you're going through hell, keep going. Well, I've been through hell. And you know what? I've earned these scars. So to me, they're kind of a badge of honor that, you know what? Yeah, I, I've earned these. I'll take them. I'll take, you know, they don't look good, but by God, I've earned every single one of them. <laughs> well, and like you said, they've all shaped you to who you are now today, made you a better, stronger person. And you're helping other people because of those scars. Yeah. So they're beautiful. Your scars are beautiful. The scars you can't see in people. Right. Beautiful. Right. Like they, they are part of who we are. And I love that you're, you're basically showing that message. That's kind of the core of your message is scars are a good thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You earn those scars. You might as well use them. Exactly. Exactly. Oh man. Yeah. Your story is super inspiring. I will definitely think about it in the times where I'm, you know, sometimes the things we go through seem really heavy at the time, like financial woes or whatever. And you're just like wallowing and it's hard. So for me personally, you just gave me another story to pop into my brain. You've been through hell and you kept going. And when I go through hell, I can keep going. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Do you have anything else you'd like to share before we say goodbye? Anything else you want to talk about? I'll, uh, I'll leave you with uh, another story. Um, yes, please. I love your stories. Thank you. <laughs> so um, always been a big fan of Westerns growing up. You know, my okay. mom and dad used to let me stay up and watch, you know, Gunsmoke and Wild Wild West and Bonanza. And, and your younger crowd is like, what is he talking about? I have no <laughs> idea what those shows are. But those were really kind of good Western shows when I was a little mm-hmm. kid. And 1993, the movie Tombstone came out. It was a huge blockbuster. It starred Val Kilmer as a guy by the name of John Doc Holliday mm-hmm. and Kurt Russell as a man by the name of Wyatt Earp. Now, Doc Holliday and Wyatt Earp were two living, breathing human beings who walked on the face of the earth. They're not made up characters just for the movie. And Doc was called Doc because he was a dentist by trade. But pretty much Doc Holliday was a gunslinger and a card shark. And Wyatt, his entire life, had been a lawman. And yet these two men from entirely opposite backgrounds form this very close friendship. And at the end of the movie, Doc is dying at a sanitarium in Glenwood Springs, Colorado, which is about three hours from where I live. The real Doc Holliday died in that sanitarium and he's buried in the Glenwood Springs Cemetery. And Wyatt at this point in his life is destitute. He has no money, he has no job, he has no prospects for a job. So every day he comes to play cards with Doc and the two men pass the time that way. And in this scene, almost at the very end of the movie, the two men are talking about what they want out of life. And Doc says, you know, I was in love with my cousin when I was young, but she joined a convent over the affair, but she's all I ever wanted. And he looks at Wyatt and he says, what about you, Wyatt? What do you want? And Wyatt kind of nonchalantly says, I just want to lead a normal life. And Doc looks at him and says, there's no normal, there's just life. And get on with living yours. Amber, you and I probably know people out there that are like, you know what, they're kind of holding back. When this happens, I'll have a normal life. When yes. that occurs, I'll have a successful life. When this happens, I'll have a significant life. I guess what I'd like to leave your audience with is this. Don't wait. Don't wait for life to come to you. Get out there. Find the reason you were put on the face of this earth. 
use your unique gifts and talents and live that reason. Because if you do, I'm going to promise you two things at the end of your life. Number one, you're going to be a whole lot happier. And number two, you're going to have a whole lot more peace in your heart. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, I don't know what else you could say to make this any better. I appreciate you. I'm very happy that I connected with you and, and I look forward to keeping an eye on what you've got going on and your recovery through this latest challenge. I'm sure that however it pans out, it's, it's going to be beautiful. It is. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Terry. Well, Amber, thanks for having me on. I always say it's, it's good people like you that uh, allow me to come on and tell my story and Hopefully between our conversation, we're going to make a difference in somebody's life. And if we do, today's been a good day. Yes. Oh, I love that. Thank you. Oh.